I'm ready. Okay. So my, my name is Tess Tesalona, and I was born in this little village uh, in uh, the southern part of uh, Luzon, the biggest island in the Philippines. It's a town called Mulanay, and uh, it's it's such a lovely town. Uh, it's uh, on the sea, and uh, sea and mountain. So uh, that's where I grew up. But uh, since um, when you need to go to a university or higher education. There's no school there, just like there are no hospitals. At that time, there was still no electricity. <laughs> electricity actually came when I was in college uh, and, uh, and a better road. But so when I had to go to higher education, I had to leave town and go to Manila. So that's where I... I started my education. I uh, studied uh, civil engineering in my younger days, <laughs> and uh, but I really did not practice it. Like uh, I, I had to um, uh, just uh, even before I, I had to see if uh, I'm get my credentials or or uh, review for a board exam I already left mm. this was uh, the time when the labor export is you know like just started to boom and uh, there's a high need for um, uh, like I, I went to Singapore essentially as a domestic worker when was that? this was in 1984 so uh, a few years after I've done my my education, but also you know this is a very uh, uh, a job that is normally uh, taken on by men, and in fact at the time of when I was finishing it, I was one of uh, four women in two hundred men. <laughs> So I was like, uh, uh, I suppose I I uh, have been used to like uh, uh, going around with them because I uh, yeah that that's the profession I I choose at that time. So uh, anyway, uh, at that time it was also. Uh, Depression uh, has started in the Philippines. Uh, the social movement is growing, but also the job prospect is really bad economically. If you want to um, move uh, forward, especially I'm the eldest child, and you know in our culture, you kind of the family is the most important unit. Mm -hmm. Need to help out. And so that's why I decided that, uh, okay, I still be better to work as a domestic abroad than pursue my career. I, I, th I thought that anyway, perhaps uh, at a later date, I could come back to it. <laughs> of course, it, it does not happen that way. And um, 
I was in Singapore for like almost four years. And uh, yeah, Singapore is such a small country. But uh, also in in the way of uh, you know like uh, the, the their um, discipline, especially with their uh, foreign workers, mm -hmm. it was uh, quite uh, difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, many of those who go uh, who are domestic workers at the time, uh, for a woman, you know. And this was already just in 80, uh, 84 mm -hmm. uh, when I left the Philippines. So you have the, it's required that every six months you need to do a pregnancy test. Oh. Yes, yeah. Never mind the other, you know, about your health. But the most important thing was pregnancy test. And if ever you are found out that you are pregnant, out you go. You lose mm. your job. You lose your job. You have to leave the country. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So apart from all the other disciplinary things that will happen to you. But also, uh, many women have no, uh, no day off. So they, they work, they essentially, you come there and then when you go back to the Philippines, then that's when you have your off. But so in a way, for me, I was lucky to have twice a month of off. <laughs> and so that's when, you know, you get to meet the friends and um, also... Uh, that's also when I started with, you know, like having uh, organization even in Singapore, even if it's just, you know, to, to socialize. Uh, and um, yeah, so I left Singapore on the day that the, the train, the light rail rolled. <laughs> That's, it's quite memorable. And then I came to Montreal. Mm. And why, why did you come to Montreal? What happened? Well, it just so happened that uh, Canada has opened uh, its program for domestic workers. So at the time that I came, it was uh, the foreign domestic movement. Uh, which had been changed to what many people know as the Live-In Caregivers Program. But so on, for that program, uh, you, you either have to live in or live out. Okay. So, but as it happened that uh, uh, every time there is supposed to be like a uh, change for the better <laughs> in, in the way that the government or immigration thinks about it, for us, it means going worse. It's not going better. Because uh, once that program was uh, closed, and uh, they were moving to change it to another program, they, they wanted to do at that time to, to do uh, contract work. Oh. So everyone will, will be just contract. And um, 
so we lobby that for us that would be really difficult because you come here what's the contract one year two years that's not even enough to pay for your fare back to go home so then what the change that they made was the live-in caregivers program which has a compulsory live-in uh, component to it and that's kind of what we also call you know like it allows for the exploitation of, of domestic workers who come mm-hmm. yeah but uh, but even when I came one uh, around the time that I came the uh, domestic worker uh, are not even uh, within the uh, um, labor standard the Tom de travail so our first uh, action or our first uh, campaign was to even put this into regulation because even if you're living or or what it's still you need your your break you need so if you work to that or however i'm exaggerating but however much you work uh there's no such thing as you know like minimum wage uh over time because you can work and and that does not account for when does it it starts to count mm. yeah so and we just want to be able to you know like uh, be like other workers and you had an organization already. yeah we we start well uh, telma at that time the the one who is telma de jesus she started the uh, pinay and uh, she started it through a program that uh, she was doing a uh, her uh, PhD, her master's degree at McGill Social Work. And her study was about domestic workers. And so through the interviews, she found out that, oh, there's this big uh, problem that's happening with this uh, group of people who come from the Philippines. And so then after that, I was one of her, the the person she interviewed, <laughs> and so soon after that, we only the organization was formed, and I was one of those who became a member in the early uh, part of Pinay. When was this? Pinay it started in ninety one, mm-hmm. and I I started shortly after, maybe ninety two or ninety three, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, that was the first campaign, and uh, then after that, it was put into regulation. Uh, and if I remember the uh, sequentially, first the minimum hour was fifty-two, mm-hmm. and then there was the reform, and it became forty-nine hours was the minimum hours. And then uh, we, com- we there was another campaign to reform the um, general uh, uh, labor standard, mm-hmm. and uh, we uh, Pinay and at that time uh, there was already the immigrant worker center, mm-hmm. 
and we together with other community groups focused on what the community needs are and one being for us mm -hmm. that domestic workers be mm -hmm. considered like other workers so be part of you know same minimum wage same number of hours of uh, of work considering overtime mm -hmm. of course the challenge for that was because it's the live-in condition yes. so even if it became regulated the nature of the law is adversarial and so if you're if you're working and living where you're you're working who is there to witness for you yes. so it it's always a difficulty in the um, uh, implementation of the law mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. and then the second campaign that we did uh, which up to now really has not been uh, uh, recognized is because domestic work is not considered work under the regime of the CSST. Oh. Yes. And so that we had we had uh, started this campaign in 2005. <laughs> Several provincial government has passed and gone and uh, so it's still it's on the table but uh, we don't know uh, how how that that would transpire hopefully so uh, so uh, when um uh, so pinay already started um, uh become uh a good group and uh, many members are there and so amongst us from the Filipino organizers we realized that uh, the um, family have arrived the family of the domestic workers mm -hmm. have arrived and so there are more uh, complex problems in the Filipino community mm -hmm. and uh, so we started uh, with uh, organizing uh, also the men and uh, and we we formed the Filipino worker support group which would include men and women and also now uh, focusing on other sectors because for the the Pinay it's focused on domestic work since many of the members mm -hmm. are domestic workers and also those that arrived first are the women and so when the family came then uh, uh, the husband uh, needs to find work and where do they get it like in factories mm. and we also experienced at the time that um, uh children started coming and of course filipinos they they speak english because that's the first the language of the colonizer that we had <laughs> it's just essentially that <laughs> so uh and so here coming in and uh, adjusting to the culture for the for for them it's kind of a double jeopardy because um, 
you're adjusting to a new culture with with a different language but it's also like um with families reuniting after so many years of living separately and and which is why you know there there's also a film done on it with malcolm and marie with the when strangers reunite and that's quite a big big problem too with with the when children arrive because mm-hmm. in the school the welcoming school at that time of course they also this is their first experience too and everybody is lumped together you know like 10 years old 9 years old together with 18 years old you know mm-hmm. so there's no um for those who are who arrive like at in there you know when they are teenagers it's both a challenge like already when they are developing they already have their own challenges in how to live their life how to become their own self and then getting into this situation uh, so at that time we had to contend with you know like the Filipino community has the most number of uh, young people aged 15 to 19 who are workers because mm-hmm. they just couldn't cope with going back to school mm-hmm. and but what kind of job it's these jobs that are like either part-time either you know like just uh, well in different factories or uh, Things that are being done at home, not even in real factories, because also this is the time when there's globalization has started and manufacturing, the manufacturing sector has started to shift into, you know, Makiladora uh, somewhere else in Mexico, in Asia. So it's quite ironic, really, because people are you know coming from those places mm-hmm. thinking that they will have a better opportunity mm-hmm. and ending up in this kind of situation where you know it's like really uh, especially like working in uh, factories that are not even heated you know peace peace um, by peace or or group quotas Paying by peace. Yes, pay, paying by peace. Yeah, at the, at that time it was what was uh, a lot, a lot of uh, those things happened. This was in the period of the nineties, when the family started coming in, and and so also because in the when they were when when especially the, the mothers you know and they are feeling so also while they are sending money mm-hmm. at home they still feel guilty that they are so away from their children their family and so they compensate by by sending you know like other other beautiful things <laughs> just um, to be close to to the children 
And so it creates also this expectation that, oh yeah, life would be beautiful when they come here. Mm. But of course, they arrive and, and they have to spend Canadian dollar over here. Which is, which, uh, if you are a domestic worker and you, you're the only one earning, would most likely be not enough. Yes. And so they would then find another job or two or three jobs. And the expectation to kind of reunite and, you know, like they they wanted to have their family bonding. But where is the time? Mm-hmm. And so the children also comes back home and there's nobody there because parents are working. Uh, but also one, one uh, consequence it's really that after so many years of living separately, mm-hmm. the husband and the wife no longer see each other as, you know. <laughs> so then also that, that kind of relationship um, starts to, be, to get broken, mm-hmm. and including the children. So in those years, we've seen um, even young... Uh, um, uh, there was an incident in Metro Plamondon where uh, young people from 10 years old to maybe like 15 or were um, spread uh, eagle uh, like this on the floor by the police. Because also what happens is they congregate, they have no uh, public space. So where do they go after school? They, they come together because they need to have friends. So they hang around in the metro. And this is like not a good idea for, for the police, for the public, maybe, because also they are not used to that, you know. And also, um, it was also the time when here in Quebec, it was just after when there was the the gang war and so they passed the uh, this uh, this law against gangsterism mm-hmm. and it's it uh, what it just was really bad that also the police and whoever is is doing this this passing this law equated these groupings of young people as as guns, you know, mm-hmm. when in fact it was just natural that, you know, that they, they have to do this, <laughs> mm-hmm. especially coming from a culture that's very social, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so a lot of young people ended up in jail, sent back home, mm-hmm. yeah, and, uh, but we, we learned through this and uh, so the other organization that we helped to to organize was the um, the organization for young people just for them to 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 learn how to live through this society but also for us to to tell the uh, the public the police and whoever 
uh, that uh, these are norm normal growing times and uh, and that there are systemic problems that lead to this kind of of uh, social you know social uh, difficulties for vote especially for them but even you know it is society in general because people have to integrate mm -hmm. and we say integration does not happen just with with those who come to integrate but it has to be both ways mm -hmm. those that the society where you come to have also learned to to live with with people who come mm -hmm. yeah uh, well, still? yeah, still in uh, Cote d'Inege, still in Cote d'Inege, but a lot of people have already moved on, mm -hmm. you know, like many immigrants, as when they have settled down, then they move somewhere else uh, mm -hmm. in the suburb, but uh, most of the community are still there. The, the, the stores are there. <laughs> the church uh, where they go to are there. So, yeah, uh, the community center is there. So. Filipino community. Yes, there. yes. Okay, so okay. You're involved in that too? Uh, well, we, we were involved in, in like, getting to uh, also... Because a lot of what they do are social socialization, mm -hmm. but w we try to also get their support when we want to, uh, um, for example, uh, present to the government what are the problems within our community. Mm -hmm. And um, since uh, in the beginning there was a lot of um, resistance because the they see us as activists mm -hmm. but uh, since there were some uh, also campaigns that had been successful for example the deportation of Melka Salvador and her son mm -hmm. which was successful because they were to be deported back to the Philippines mm -hmm. so we were able to kind of shine a light on the live-in caregivers program as essentially a uh, anti-woman and uh, and a racist policy mm. uh, of immigration, mm. and so th that was a successful campaign, and uh, they they saw it as uh, as a good thing. That you're a good partner to be there. <laughs> 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 but uh, going back to the uh, to the immigrant worker center. So then, when we uh, we saw that what or what the problems are too with the with the workers, mm -hmm. and in 1995, there was a big campaign un union campaign in this factory co called Peerless. And uh, I became one of the union organizers there. Mm -hmm. So, but we also saw this as an opportunity to even further uh, investigate what the conditions are and how we can meet up with many of, of our compatriots. Because mm -hmm. a lot of them are working in, in the factory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, so... Um, 
that was uh, a big campaign because it's it's a uh, factory that makes uh, high-end suits for men and at that time I think the one suit I think uh, they're uh, ordinarily cost uh, around $650 this is like <laughs> this is 90s still yes 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 if you could imagine uh -huh. that uh, yes because these are like really n nice suits uh -huh. and Compare that to the minimum wage, and the minimum wage at that time was, I think, not even seven dollars, <laughs> or around seven dollars. Six something. Like yes, that. yes, six ninety or something okay. like that, mm -hmm. and for a while it got stuck, mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and so there was uh, a uh, an in-house union. Uh, and um, uh, one of the uh, the the main uh, apart from the um, the regular uh, you know like issues of of workers uh, working conditions etc etc at that time one of the main issue was. Uh, 90% of the people working there are migrants, immigrants. In fact, when we, there's like, a, a, I can't remember how many languages, but when we do our leaflet, we have at least 10. Wow. Yes, yes. And so uh, one of the main issue is because you are not, they are not allowed to vote in the union if they are not citizens. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so many of them had been working there for, for so many years but can't vote because even if you are a landed immigrant, you're not yet a citizen. Mm. So uh, they see it luckily that... Uh, they many of them thought that it's it's a um, discrimination mm -hmm. on their part. So so that was one of the issues. Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, that that was a, a complex, uh, many different. Uh, dynamics that happened it's it's a very long story that what happened in that organizing mm -hmm. because also within the unions there are dynamics and uh, mm -hmm. they they have their own union and so but they are union members mm -hmm. but when it comes to to uh, like um, decision makings and being part of the executive committee no, they they are they are not allowed. But but so there are also other issues like how many microwaves. It, it's like more than two thousand workers, you know, mm -hmm. two two thousand five hundred, I think, at that time. Mm -hmm. How many microwaves? How many toilets? So the the amount of time you have to go pee, so people have, you know, it it's. Uh, 
it can sound funny but it, I, I you know it's it's really dif i suppose you know mm -hmm. difficult when <laughs> that even you know your your private um moments mm -hmm. that you need is even you know like regulated so badly <laughs> so also things like you know you because of the nature of um <clears throat> Of the uh, how do you say that the 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 line assembly line mm -hmm. of work, then they develop this this um, system where you're not supposed to uh, sit beside your countryman or because it will cut out on your time. You know, you'll start chatting. It will, one, cut on the production time. It's a bad idea in case, you know, you someone has a problem and you start, you know, whispering and then you end up figuring that you have your rights. Mm -hmm. so, so it's a very good system for how to break organization, how to not have proper union uh, in the workplace. So those are some of the issues that were happening at that time. I was uh, brought in as an organizer for the Filipino groups. And it was really a good organizing um, group that was developed by UNITE at, at that time. Because UNITE was the union for uh, needle trades. Yeah, uh, and uh, textile. Okay. Yeah, it soon merged after when we, when we left, but it merged with another union. Okay. But uh, uh, so this was the unite was um, the uh, uh, has in the beginning it started with the men's side of of the textile, okay. and. Uh, and there's the ladies' garment too, uh, of which uh, Madeleine Parant was one of the main people who started. So, um, uh, so sh the um, the story with that is it it uh, uh, unite while the unions themselves have their own dynamics, as I was saying. And um, soon another union was uh, called in by the in-house union. Okay. It's the Teamsters to come in, and they they made a sweetheart deal. So, <laughs> so, uh, so then we we lost the organizing. There was an election that happened, and then because there was already like. Um, kind of, you know, an uh, agreement and principle between the in-house and the Teamsters, then they decided that its Teamsters would be a better, if they have to make it into uh, a proper union, like as they, they think, then they would rather give it to the Teamster than to Unite who had been organizing the workers for like maybe at that time two years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, after that, um, oh, 
just to go back a little bit so the organizing team that we have was the filipinos vietnamese chinese latinos bangladesh were a, were a good group of from everywhere <laughs> you know so when we uh, are doing the meetings i always when i tell this story i always say it's it's like when you're outside the room i compare it to like a dog fight you know because like it's like wow 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 because of the simultaneous translation you know <laughs> it's like really a fun place because the room is small and we have this meeting like in the afternoon when workers come out from the factory okay. and so then there's english and french so this is being done simultaneously and then there would be spanish so one group would be spanish and thai vietnamese so many languages like hindi and so if you can imagine and it's just really even like amazing to me because you know with this so much noise <laughs> that they can understand you know each other even in all of this uh, uh, how do you say that chaos, uh, chaos yes even in this yeah organized chaos <laughs> so you can call it yeah mm -hmm. it's quite um it's quite incredible if if you see it in person and uh, so um, when when we uh, stopped that organizing in in um, Peerless, we still have a good group, and we already also started organizing other places. Mm -hmm. And really, it's um, even those who are had been uh, union organizers says that this was an incredible period in in organizing time because we organized 15 places and we managed to put into um and uh, we managed to put the union in 11 of them wow. we only lost four and in this 11 we won two by election wow. and at the uh, one the first win they said that it was the first in many, many years. Where was this? This was Chateau West Mount. Oh. And we we won the election 1551. Oh. <laughs> it it uh, it was and it was uh, immigrant driven, you know. Oh. It's it's uh, the workers who you know like made this made this happen mm. it's very very hard to win an election mm. because by the time you go to an election already you have you would have proven that at least there were 35 percent signed up for the cards mm -hmm. so it means that uh 51% it's 50 plus 1 uh, automatically it should be that the union can be there mm. 
the problem is of course the management will try to like bring that number down adding workers or whatever that they will do just to bring the numbers down and so by the time you go to election also there's the period of time where intimidation happens and so and people's minds are changed so so it was really incredible that this happened one other very uh very interesting story that that uh, i wanted to share during that period is is also an organizing in montreal north yes. river de prairie montreal north there was this socks factory they also make high-end socks mm -hmm. and they get subvention from federal provincial government and this is a factory that was at that time more than a thousand workers wow. but also in that um, most of the most of the workers speak um, don't speak English and so um, and I don't speak French mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and uh, it went on strike because we also happened to bring the collective agreement but at that time when there was the uh, the company there was an election uh, an election to say okay we we agree or not agree the company of course does not want to agree and so there was a strike mm -hmm. and uh, it was winter <laughs> so to top it off so the uh, the company was saying, "Oh yeah, this this strike will not last for three days, and you will come kneeling, kneeling to beg your job back." You know, this was this was just how arrogant that that was. And um, so the strike went on for three weeks. In spite of, in spite of, and uh, the 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 um, uh, other side to that was, even the wives, mothers, came to the strike, daughters of the workers, because that's what the company was was uh, saying that you will need the money. For your family but because the these people realize that if they don't you know if they don't um, get into uh, being organized nothing nothing much will happen it's gonna be the same and worse mm -hmm. and it was very powerful because it's the women and even like in the strike the men are gone the women are there <laughs> <laughs> dancing by the fire <laughs> and because I cannot speak English a eh, French I was assigned to the to the night shift someone has to be there from the Union and um, they thought oh never mind there's nothing 
nothing's gonna happen in the evening they'll all just will sleep but in fact it was very uh, a good time for even organizing beyond union organizing mm-hmm. because although we speak many languages we were just talking the whole night <laughs> i don't know i really don't know how we understood each other you know but because our stories were stories from the old country i think that's one that's something common but beyond that many of these people who were there was because they already have an experience of being organized for for change for changing for changing their condition mm-hmm. So we were not even talking about you know the demands their demands as workers for that but we were talking beyond that you know how to what what is it that workers need what happens with the uh, globalization what happens in their country you know and how still everybody has links to the country the struggle in their country so Every time I at that time when I had meetings with the unions and we were trying to uh get this idea of like we need to have a different way of organizing you know mm-hmm. like even for the union it's not not just really just about numbers and mm-hmm. but we need uh, we need to go beyond that and go to the even more to the communities because the communities have the experience and if they work together it's a powerful force and i've i've seen that in that you know like in the van <laughs> that's what, that's really it it's really incredible because uh, of course many of these stories you also don't hear in the news mm. Yeah.